This is the Revolution Leadership Podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host. And here we believe that everything in a culture ultimately rises and falls because of its leaders. I'll be sharing with you proven principles, practical examples, and relevant stories in order to inspire and equip you to lead wherever you are. Welcome to the show. Well, we are here uh, with another episode of the Revolution Leadership Podcast. I'm Chris, and I am here with Nick Bogaz um, with our first ever Zoom podcast session. I'm super excited. Um, Nick, I got to meet over Clubhouse, actually, a Clubhouse chat. Um, I think we're talking about leadership or business or entrepreneurialism, something like that. But uh, we started chit-chatting a little bit, and I was like, I got to get Nick on the show because he's got an awesome story. Uh, Sounds like he's doing some really cool things in the area of pizza and maybe other things, who knows, maybe he'll surprise us on the show, but, um, but yeah, we're here with Nick and, uh, Nick, I'll let you take it away and kind of give maybe a little bit, uh, more detailed, uh, more details about kind of who you are and what you do and, uh, maybe some of your hobbies. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm Nick Bogaz. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I run Caliente Pizza and Draft House. I founded the company in 2012 after being in the pizza industry for 16 years, making money for everybody else. And and I decided if I was going to do this forever, I had to do it for myself and for my family. So within the last eight years, we've built um, five locations. There's 150 seats in each, about 30 taps on on, um, 30 different beers on rotation. Um, Like I mentioned, 150 different seats. We do pickup, delivery, dine-in, we have in the last uh, few years, we went to the International Pizza Expo in Las Vegas. We've won awards as world's best pan pizza, world's best non-traditional pizza, and the world's largest pizza stretch. And then, <laughs> then I was named to the World Pizza Champions team, which is a team that travels all over the, the world and competes internationally. And we won the best American pizza in Parma, Italy in 2019. So I'm in the, the pizza industry space. And I, I also am an author, a podcaster, uh, dabble in some real estate and other investments. And I just uh, really, um, really excited to be here with Chris, because if there's one thing that really has led to my success, I can't say that I was a, a chef or anything like that, that had a lot of, um, you know, grandma's secret recipe in the pizza industry. But what I learned over the 16 years in my in my development was how to be a leader. So I'm really excited today to be here with, with you, Chris. That's awesome. Well, like I said, we're super excited to have you. Um, real quick, before, we, before I start grilling you with questions, what is a pizza stretch? So that would be like where you take a 20-ounce take a dough ball and you try to stretch it as big as you possibly can get it. And because okay. the international competition, they, they do everything in centimeters. So one of my guys was able to take this out to about 108 centimeters. So, you know, just picture a big giant pizza stretch and you got five minutes to take this dough ball, stretch it out without ripping it. And then they, they count down to say, okay, 10 seconds. And you have 10 seconds to lay it down on the floor and uh, spread it out as wide as you possibly can. And then three guys come out with, with uh, measuring tapes and they measure it all (laughs) up from corner to corner and, and decide how many centimeters uh, your pizza stretch is. Sweet. Okay. So like the dough quality is, is, can it, is it a correct assumption to say that dough quality is based on how, how uh, stretchy it is or. Well, so, so it's interesting, you know, everybody uses the same dough at these competitions. We've been to uh, different competitions where we've gone and the dough has been really, really rough, 
like very tight. And, um, you know, 108 centimeters would be like uh, a great stretch. There's been times we go to a competition, you're lucky to get 40 centimeters because oh, yeah. the dough's so tight. So there is some, some merit to your question. Sweet, sweet. Well, cool. So um, I, I know some of the stories that you have, but our audience does not. But I would love to hear, you know, obviously we're here talking about leadership um, kind of in the space of kind of young leaders or up and coming leaders. But I would love to hear maybe just a couple stories from your experience pertaining to leadership that you feel like would maybe be helpful for our listeners. Um, that can be those can be fictitious stories or it can be stories from your own experience, whatever you like. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you just about how how leadership has impacted your life and your career. Um, and, and yeah, what, uh, yeah, what's been impactful to you about the leadership space? Absolutely. I think what's really interesting with my story is I was learning a lot of leadership skills at a very young age and I really didn't realize it till later on. And, Mm. and that's, what's interesting because as young leaders and, and young, young people, you know, you pick up different skills when you're younger that really become valuable when you're older. And how it really worked for me was I have uh, three brothers, so I'm one of four four boys. My older brother's uh, seven years older than me, so when he was 18, he went off to, to college, and really I would became pretty much the the oldest the oldest then. You know, I was uh, about 11 years old, and my younger brothers were were seven and five, so it was like 11, seven, and five. It was the three of us for really the next. Um, four or five years that my brother was, he went, he went to college in Florida. So from Pittsburgh, you know, we saw him at Christmas and we saw him at, at, uh, maybe, maybe not even Thanksgiving, but we'd see him, you know, maybe at Christmas and, um, you know, maybe a little bit a month or two in the summer. So it was one of those things that, um, it was me and my, my two younger brothers a lot growing up through those next four years. And we had a youth foundation right down the, the, uh, street from us, right down the hill, that we could walk to basically like, uh, it was a YMCA, but it was a, it wasn't a Y it was a local, uh, youth foundation. So we would go there and they had all kinds of activities. And my parents always put us in every activity. I can't say I really, um, took a sport and played it my whole life, but I did everything. We, as, as, um, me and my brothers, we did everything. They had craft activities, karate, uh, floor hockey, uh, baseball, uh, flag football, just about anything you can imagine. Each season they had something and each season we would do some sort of activity. I think it was a way for my mom to get some peace and quiet to put us in all these activities (laughs) all all year long. So that was a a lot of fun for us. And really I was a a skinny bean pool. And, you know, what that translates to sometimes was coach. You know, being a youth foundation, they let the younger kids be the coaches. So like as a 12 year old, 13 year old boy, I could be the coach of the six and seven year old kids. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was really neat that way that you, Mm -hmm. you could be, you know, a 13 year old kid being a coach and really uh, coaches are, is a great spot for leaders, you know, and when you, you know, preparing me for this interview, you had asked about, you know, who's, who's favorite, my favorite leaders. A lot of them are coaches because Mm. coaches can be great leaders in the way that they motivate their teams and they, they get everybody to buy together for one common purpose. And that's really what I was learning at a young age. So I would be the floor hockey coach. And what I learned is, you know, we would have these, these practices a lot because really they would say, okay, here's the schedule. Here's your 12 games for the season. And that's it. 
but I wanted to win and, and I wanted our teams <laughs> to win. So we would set up, you know, Hey, Thursday night at six o'clock, they have open gym. Let's have a, a floor hockey practice. And then we'd set them up like that. So, you know, I'm running it very professionally that where once a week we're having practices where the other teams aren't and our, mm. and, you know, and we would have uh, the parents loved it because they, they, you know, now rather than getting their kid out of the house once a week, they're right. getting their kids out of the house twice a week. <laughs> Some of the parents would buy pizza and say, Hey, we're going to, for your practice, we're going to buy pizza for you guys. And, you know, and, and it became a really cool thing. And then we would, we'd win championships and we would practice skills. And I loved, um, you know, sports was everything to me, even though I wasn't very good at them. I loved to, to coach the kids mm -hmm. and we would win these championships and all the kids would always want to be on my team. And it just became this, this really fun thing throughout my teenage years I spent so much time in the gym and, and down at the youth foundation coaching. And then baseball was always my favorite sport, but it was the sport that the parents actually coached. You know, you couldn't coach baseball. I was this great youth coach that was winning four hockey championships and flag football teams were winning championships. But when it came to baseball, that's when these parents were real serious, but because of how great I was uh, coaching their kids, I became their scorekeeper, their third base coach. And, um, you know, I was the umpire during the season and, and, you know, they let me go ahead and be the, the third base coach, like I mentioned, or the scorekeeper. And I was, you know, and the kids loved me because I coached them the other three seasons of the year I was coaching them. So they, right. they knew me really well. And, um, I was able to, and my brothers were on these traveling baseball teams cause they were, they actually weren't skinny bean poles. They were, they were pretty good, uh, athletes and they had a lot more, eye hand coordination than myself. So they were, they were great athletes and I was able to be their, their baseball coach. And it just became this thing that I didn't even realize till later on looking back at my career, how much that had an impact at a young age, all those leadership skills that I was learning. So I think when you get into the world of business, you can't underestimate communication and leadership. And I really feel like leadership and communication go hand in hand. And that's, I want to hear, I want to hear where the rest is, where that's leading. Cause I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, yeah. Leadership and communication. I, that's something, you know, here at Rev five, we teach that quite a bit. Um, so let's, let's dive into that a little bit. How, how have you seen sometimes in your life where that, uh, where that plays out? What is what delve into that a little bit more leadership and communication? Sure. So at a very young age, uh, 21 and 20, my wife and I had our first child and got married so mm. we were, we were very young, you know, and, and this is just 20 years ago. And I think maybe if you say 30 or 40 years ago, it might've been more common practice, but it wasn't really that, you know, that common. It was sort of like today where, where um, you're, you're starting with a lot of things stacked against you. If you're that young and starting out a family, you, you really are uh, financially mm. and everything else. It's, it's tough. And yeah. I was delivering pizzas at the time. And I realized I also had dabbled a little bit inside the restaurants and, you know, having great communication skills. I was always one of the favorites. And I realized, okay, if we're going to start a family, I need to go ahead and become a general manager. Like that's what I need to do. I need to be head of the store because, you know, being a 19 year old kid and, and a little cocky and, you know, already being a manager, I'm thinking, I don't need to go to college. I'm a manager. I've already made it in life, you know? So, sure. so yeah. that was going to be my path was, was management and I needed to be a general manager. So I worked my way up the store that I worked at that was delivering pizzas. Their owner was the general manager. So I couldn't go any farther than assistant manager. 
And I was a, a really good assistant manager, but I knew I needed to be a general manager. So when I went to a location, uh, that's when I worked for, I left like a mini chain and went and worked for the big dog for Papa John's. So here I am, a 22 year old kid, basically. And at this point, I already had another kid because my kids are 18 months apart. So here I am with two babies at home and um, wow. I'm pitching myself to Papa John's. And I'll, I'll give your listeners one of my favorite questions in an interview. This is um, very impactful. It is a great question. At the very, very end of the interview, they always ask you this question. Do you have any more questions? And the best question to ask is, I do. Is there any reason you wouldn't hire me? Mm-hmm. That is the best question, because if there's any um, reason that they wouldn't hire you, it comes out right then and it gives you a chance to come back to it. So mm-hmm. what they said to me was they said, yes, you know, the, the reason we wouldn't hire you is because this staff is all 16, 17, 18 year old kids. And you're basically just a kid yourself. And um, we're not sure that you could lead this team. You know, we really mm-hmm. need um, we're looking for somebody older for somebody that can lead this group of, of kids. So, you know, that question was fantastic. I've used it over and over and it gave me the chance to tell them, well, like, yes, you may see my age and think that I'm a kid, but I have two small babies at home that are my kids and my family. Mm -hmm. And I take this very seriously. And I, and I said, you know, I'll be able to lead this group because they're going to be able to relate to me because of my age, but I'm going to take it very, very seriously. I want this more than anything. And we're going to win. We're going to make this a profitable store. We're going to make this store known in the community. And I'm going to be the guy that does it. And they went from telling me, we'll call you in two weeks to saying, here's the offer. Can you start, start (laughs) next week? So that was one way that I thought was, okay, here I am. I just got this job because I I asked a great question that there was a tip from one of my best friend's parents who's a headhunter gave me that question. I used it. And now all right, I'm in charge of all these 16, 17, 18 year old kids. I better put my yeah. money where my mouth is. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, so I did, I, I just, I built a team and, and the same way I would build these teams when I was younger, I didn't realize it at the time, even when I was 22, I just went in and, you know, um, a lot of things work in leadership, you know, eye contact when you meet somebody shaking their hand, when, when you meet them, um, being genuine, you know, not telling BS, not telling everybody what you're going to do, but showing them by action, what you really are capable of um, a great place in, in the restaurant or, or anywhere really, you know, you could take this metaphor for and use it anywhere. Great place for a manager in a restaurant is to do the dishes. You know, I would do the dishes in the very beginning a lot. So people could see me in there doing what's unquote, you know, the lowest part of the, the restaurant job is the dishes. So, you know, in any spot that you're in leadership, doing that, that lonely part um, makes a big difference. And then, you know, building that team together that they see, Hey, this guy isn't uh, a a BS artist. He's actually going to do these things and we want to get behind them, you know, and then, you know, hiring the right people, bringing in the right people for a team is really important. If you've got a team of great people, you don't want to bring in that, that bad attitude. I think a lot of times you see that in sports, you've got this great team. They're like one player away from winning and they bring in that mouthy, cocky wide receiver. And then next thing you know, you know, they, they go eight and eight the next year and nobody can figure out why, cause they were 12 and 40 years before it's cause they brought in a bad attitude. And like, you know, the, the rotten apple starts to spoil the barrel. Like that's a lot of what that is. So you want to be real careful once you build this team of who to bring in. 
And then when you talk about the communication side of it, you know, it's just like taking the temperature of the room. You know, you're asking, hey, how are you today? How's, how's everything going? You, you can ask them, um, you know, questions about anything new. How's the family? How's, how's your life going? Oh, oh, you, you know, for younger kids, oh, you started your swim meet. Like how's swimming going? You know, um, what's the difficulties in there? Just some real interest. You know, you don't want to want to come off that you really don't, that it's not genuine, but really take some interest in these people because at the end of the day, you know, people are only going to care about you till you care about them first. You know, they won't yeah. care about you till you care about them first. So that mm -hmm. that's what you have to make sure you do. You have to buy in and care about them and then they will care about you and they will follow you. Yeah, man, that's good. Yeah. I, I heard a few things in there. I think one of the themes when you were talking about, um, you know, that final question that you were able to ask your interviewers, I think that is, um, that's key is being able to accept feedback, honestly, because I think if you can be proactive and saying, okay, you know, I know that I'm, it's not a yes or no yet, but I'm just, I'm willing to grow. You know, I want to grow and this isn't anything personal. This is just, this is for me. You know, I want to figure out how I can improve. Um, I think it's huge. I've, I heard, um, I don't remember who it was. It was a podcast or something, but they were saying how, um, you know, when you, uh, it might've been, a, it might've been a dating thing, but they talked about interviewing and like dating and anytime you're in some kind of new relationship or interaction with someone, when you're done, come back to them and say, okay, now, how was that? You know, how, how was that for you? Give me some feedback on our interaction. You know, if you can just step away from it from a second, tell me how I came off. You know, was I, was it awkward for you? Was it good? You know, was my eye contact okay? But be willing to accept feedback because, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of humility to accept that. But when you do, you can, you can really grow and leave some bounds. So I love, I love that side of it. And I love how you're talking about communicating with people, um, you know, managers, I think a lot of times when people are in management, they think that it's about um, maybe controlling people or just, just oversight. It's very objective, you know, um, but the best managers I've ever had are really high touch. You know, they're very much, they're, they're a friend, you know, so there's still respect involved, but there's also, um, you know, you can tell that they care about you. And I think that's one of the things that you were highlighting was, you know, always, always have constant little touch points with people, you know, make sure that they know that you care about them as a person. So Right. And, and the worst managers, you know, to flip it for you are the ones that hide in the office, smoke a million mm -hmm. cigarettes, um, go to the store because we need something, you, you know, the disappear yeah. that aren't there. But you're right. The guy that's right next to you or interacting with you or or, you know, those touch points are just so key. You're absolutely right there. Yeah. So I'm curious. Um, let's let's flip the script a little bit. So let's say um, that someone wants to come and work for you. Uh, let's just let's say in management. Um, what are a few key things that you're looking for? Um, let's say uh, their resume is pretty good, but how do you vet? How do you vet for someone? Um, how do you tell that uh, they really are who they say that they are on their resume? What's what's some of the you know from the perspective of someone who's been through the entire chain of command? What what are some things that you're looking for in someone that you would hire on as a manager? I think those are great. That is a great question because you know that's why I love what you're doing so much, you know, that it, a lot of times people come out and they have these podcasts and they really don't have an audience like your audience is young people. And I think it's so important because a lot of times somebody like myself didn't have these resources back then that you'd have to learn from all the mistakes that you make. So, mm -hmm. you know, I can give you some, some great tips right off the bat and, and you can't underestimate how important it is to be on time. 
Hey guys, this is Chris with just a couple quick reminders. First, if you want to be on the show, I would love to have you. We're doing a Q&A segment where we tackle your questions pertaining to leadership, so be sure to leave us your question in the link below. Second, if you're receiving value from the show, please consider partnering with us so we can continue to raise up young leaders and be sure to like, comment, subscribe, share, and leave us a positive review on your preferred platform. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. You know, that is step one. If you're going on an interview for somewhere, be on time. And if you say to them, um, you know, something about I'm going to call you back or I'm going to follow up or I'm going to send you an email when I go back or um, hey, what's your availability for schedule? I'll email that to you later. If you say something like that, whatever you say, do it. You know, that's yeah. that's yeah. another one. So you want to be on time. If you make anything that promises that you say anything, you do that. Be, be true to what you say. And appearance does matter. You know, even um, in this day and age where it's more common to have piercings, tattoos, um, you know, and, and there's there's also like that part of like, well, that's my personality is part of my look. You know, I'm not saying you can't have those things, but also um, wearing an, a nice shirt compared to the shirt that you would go out on a Saturday night that makes a difference. So sure, you can have the tattoos, the piercings, but a nice, you know, crisp shirt would make a big difference. You know, maybe a nice pair of shoes versus, you know, your beat up tennis shoes you've been wearing for six months. Like those little things do make a difference. You can, you can have the piercings, the tattoos and let your personality come through, but you should have, you know, a, also a cleaner image that, that comes through. People look for, look for mm. that. And then I think the other part is, you know, do you make eye contact? Do you shake a hand? Are you, um, are you kind of drowning out during the interview? Like, are you just kind of like, you know, look like you're more focused on anything else? Um, are you looking at your phone during the interview? Like, you know, that's definitely one of those things that you want to be completely focused on the interview, be all there, you know? And, and I think that's another part of it is being focused and you're there, you're answering the questions, your tone, sit up straight, you know, that, that goes a long way. Um, not just slumped down and casual. And I think the other thing is, is have a conversation, you know, don't be afraid to, to really get to know this person and have a, have a friendly conversation, be a good conversationalist and, and listen. And I think another good tip would be a good listening tip is when you're listening to a conversation, p- pick up on something that they said there, you know, that they said in the conversation and then ask a question about it. So it shows that you're a good listener. If you hear something in this conversation, come back and ask a question about it. And I think that's a, a good conversation strategy, but it's also good in an interview because it lets a future employer know that you're listening. So I think that I, I threw out a, a lot of good uh, good ideas there for you. Yeah, no, that was great. I have at least four or five for sure. Um, yeah, active listening is a, is a huge one. And one thing that I like that you said um, you were talking about appearance and I was, I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day and with appearance, you know, sometimes it's easy to think, uh, you know, uh, you're thinking appearance in terms of yourself, right? So you're like, I want to look nice because it's, you know, that's, that's what I want to portray. But the thing is, you know, when you're interacting with someone else, um, when you look nice, you smell nice, you know, and you're, you've got a smile on your face, whatever, it actually makes the other person feel good. Mm. So perceiving your own appearance in terms of I'm actually doing this to serve someone else, that, that was just a thought I had the other day. Um, and it, it kind of changed my paradigm a little bit because then it's not like, you know, I want to, 
you know, be wealthier or, or look better or whatever for my own sake. I actually want that because I realize that other people in my presence, it means a lot to them. Um, so that's, that's just a good way uh, to look at it. But then the other thing you said, kind of getting really practical as far as scheduling goes um, and being on time, you know, what you have in your fingertips, having your iPhone is, is amazing. I learned how to use the calendar uh, on my iPhone when I was, I don't know, 15 or something like that. And I've been doing it ever since where literally if you say, okay, I'll be there at, you know, 11 o'clock, what you do is you pull out your phone right then you create an event for, you know, 1045 or whatever, you put it in there, you say meet with so-and-so, or you put down what you said, your expectation was in your calendar right there, and then you're alerted for it. And it seems like, you know, maybe that's common sense, but literally that, that speaks volumes to people when, when you're proactive about saying, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this, and boom, it's right here in my phone scheduled beforehand. So I'll be there right on time and you can expect this from me. So um, technology is your best friend. It can really be used uh, to help you uh, as far as keeping your commitments goes. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I think you're, you're right about the appearance too. And a good example, a quick one would be, you know, uh, this Zoom call, you know, I'm at my house, I'm not at work or anything. And I've been doing a lot of work from home. And, you know, before the I looked and I was like, okay, we're, we're going to go on here in about 15 minutes. I should probably put on a nicer shirt than my sweatshirt that I've been walking around in two days with, you know, like <laughs> my, I was like, I probably should maybe do a quick, quick hair adjustment because like, you know, I'm looking like I've just been roaming around the house for a couple of days because that's, that's what I've been doing. But I think, you know, Hey, I want to come off good in this, this, and, you know, interview and kind of make sure that, you know, make a, the right, right uh, impact and, you know, first impressions are lasting impressions. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's how you want to come off. So I made sure, Hey, you know, I want to put a nice shirt on. And, you know, I think as soon as I saw you, Chris, we both had nice smiles on our face and it just, it goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so going into kind of the subject of, of, of young leaders and you kind of already touched on this, but I would love if you have any more thoughts, um, what are maybe one or two, uh, nuggets of truth or, or advice specific to a younger leader, um, you know, maybe outside of the interview process, what's, what's maybe something that could be custom tailored to maybe a younger person pertaining to leadership that you've picked up over the years. Um, and like I said, I know you already mentioned a few things, but I just wanted to, to really drill down to that and make sure that you didn't have any other thoughts about that um, for maybe a younger leader. Yeah. I'll, I'll give like two, I'm going to give a, an easy one and a hard one. How's that? Awesome. Okay. Perfect. So, so the easy one would be is, you know, whoever you're leading, remember, you're always on stage. Always. Mm -hmm. So whether it's before the meeting, during the meeting, after the meeting, before practice, after practice, um, you know, whether you're on a quick phone call, whatever it is, whenever you're, you're gathering with the group that you're leading, you're on stage. They're watching you. They're, they're going to follow your lead. If uh, you let so-and-so be late, then they know that everybody can be late. You, you get what you, you put up with. Um, so that that's very important. You have to understand that your eyes are always on you. They're always watching you. So you, you have to make sure that you're always leading, that you're always on. If you think, oh, you know, I can um, say this off the, the hand, kind of off the cuff kind of saying or something like that, um, that's just bad. You know, you, you can't, you got to realize that people are always, always watching you. You know, if you think that's where we see a lot of times with these college sports programs, it comes back years later that they had maybe some kind of sexual harassment or some kind of suits against them. And really what it was is it's the culture, you know, the mm -hmm. coach, probably somebody made an off the cuff uh, remark 
and they let it go. And then six years, seven years later in the program, it, it's worse. You know, the way that they're mm. treating, treating people. And it's because yeah. they didn't cut it off from the very beginning. So it's very important that you're always on stage. If something's not appropriate, you, you shut it off, but you make sure that, that you understand that somebody's always watching you. So that's mm. the easy one that you're, you just realize you're always on. Now the, the hard leadership tip that takes a lot of training and really is very valuable, but it's very, very hard and takes practice is it goes back to what you mentioned before about humility. You have to realize that if something goes wrong in the organization that you're leading, it's your fault. Mm. Sounds very simple, but it's not. And I'm talking anything, whether you're not there and, and it's something that you, you weren't there. You didn't even have anything you feel like to do with it, but you did, you're the leader. So you have to realize that no matter where the fault is in your organization, you're responsible. And it was, it was your fault. So when these things happen in my organization, I'll take a long walk and, you know, I'll take the dog out. We'll go for a long walk. And a lot of times what happens is, you know, I start out the walk saying, there's no way that that was my fault. There's no way I wasn't there. I would never uh, let that happen. I wouldn't, wouldn't never approve of it. Like that was, that was their fault. Like, I can't believe they would say that, or they would do that, or we would treat a customer like that. Like I would never, that's not my fault. Then the onion starts to peel back a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I should have told so-and-so this, maybe I, okay. We had a meeting. I said it 10 times. Maybe I should have said 11. I didn't have a visual chart. Maybe I should have had a chart that explains that this isn't how we treat a customer. All right. So, you know, you start to peel back, say, okay, this is why it was my fault. I can turn around and walk home now, you know, but, but that's kind of the, the thought behind it is when you can take the, the, the faults in your organization, blame them on yourself and then teach from those. That's when you become an effective leader. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, that is so good. And, you know, imagine, imagine if everyone in your organization took that personal responsibility, I mean, you would thrive because not only would everyone else's backs be covered, but you'd probably be doing more than is required of you and the organization would grow. So that's, yeah, that's a great personal responsibility. And I think that's in any area of life, you know, whether you're leading an organization or you're leading your family, or you're just leading yourself at the end of the day, you're responsible for your own growth. Um, and that's really a, you know, there's a lot of that's, that's an honorable thing to be able to take responsibility um, for every aspect of your life. That's, that's a, I love it. I love it. It's not easy, but it's yeah. very good. And I think I'll throw in there, Chris, you, you mentioned family, you know, I think a lot mm -hmm. of times people, you know, you, you split up with a spouse or something and people want to say, well, it was all their fault mm -hmm. when you're really honest, like, you know, there's things that you did that, that probably caused that situation too. You just got to be honest with yourself. And sometimes it's very hard to be honest with yourself. It really is. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you don't even have to tell anybody else that it was your fault or, or what faults you had in it. But when you can come to the realization that this is where I went wrong, whether it's a really tough family situation or a tough work situation, when you can be honest with yourself, that's when you grow. And, yeah. and that's the, the whole purpose is to, is to grow so that you can be a better leader. You could be a better parent. You could be a better, better um, husband or wife. Like you have to just get to a point where you can really grow. And part of that growing process is definitely being honest with yourself and being able to see where you can be better. Yeah, totally. There's, there's a term um, one of my mentors talks about, and he, 
he uses the term forced change um, versus, you know, basically internally uh, enforced change. And the idea is, you know, if you don't impose certain limitations or, or changes upon yourself, eventually life will impose those upon you. So it's, it's better to be proactive and be a little introspective if you need to, or take full responsibility, then let things go and then kind of let life just hit you because either way change is coming. It's just a matter of how you receive that change. Because if you can impose that upon yourself in small doses, when something bigger happens, um, it's, it's part of change management, to be honest. When, when a bigger change happens, you're prepared for that. And the impact and the blow isn't going to be as hard because you've been self-imposing some of that upon yourself before it ever hits. So I think it's super important to do that, whether it's in, like you said, family or business or, or your own, your own self. Um, let's talk a little bit about favorite leaders. Uh, you know, you mentioned it at the beginning, but I'm curious if you have any other ones. Um, do you have maybe one or two leaders that you look up to and admire it can be fictional or, or real? Um, and, and if so, why, uh, why do you look up to them? Why do you admire them? Yeah. You, you know, I think that's a great question. Uh, just to go back real quick on, on change. I think that's yeah. you know really important, Chris, that you brought that up because it's maybe mm. even something that I underestimate in a leader, but change is part of life. Yeah. And you have to know that the change is going to happen. And when you lead an organization, change happens all the time. You know, COVID is a great example. Mm. You know, a lot of businesses failed and a lot of businesses thrived. Um, the ones that weren't used to change definitely ha had a, a lot harder of a road to go because they couldn't just try and adapt or pivot or whatever fancy words you want to use. But change is so important. You know, we embrace change. And I think that's what you have to do as leaders. You have to absolutely have to embrace it. And when you find that you have people underneath you that don't embrace change, then you really have to work with them and point out the why. You know, why is the change so important? Sometimes people underneath you have to understand why they're doing something. You know, for, mm -hmm. for maybe on the upper management side, people will just go ahead and they'll do it because it's their job. But a lot of times people want to know why they're doing something. So when change happens, you have to make sure you explain it very well to the people underneath you so that they can buy into the, the difference and really make the outcome be the outcome that you want it to be. So I wanted to mention that before I get in, yeah. because I think you're so right on change for sure. But, you know, as far as leaders go, you know, being a, a sports guy from, from, you know, a, a fan really, you know, I, I was hesitant to pull out like the, the Homer pick here, but I think I have to, you know, a Pittsburgh fan, um, you know, my, my leader that I look up to is Ben Roethlisberger. And mm -hmm. I think what's interesting about that is, I've seen the the way that he's matured over his career. And I think that's one of the reasons I, I really like him so much. You know, I'm, I'm 43 at the time right now. And Ben Roethlisberger is 38. So over his 18, 19 year old career, I've seen watched the 20 year old kid come into the NFL and, you know, seen him develop into a leader. So that's what I've liked, you know, as, at the same time, I've developed into a leader. So, you know, we're watching a young guy that would go to the bars and party all the time. And then when people would talk about why he had a bad pass, he'd blame it on the receivers or he'd get on his radio show and blame it on the coach's call or whatever it would be. But over time, if you see an interview from Ben, he takes all the blame. You know, hey, I wasn't good enough today. I threw those picks. And, those, and the media always bait him 
well, so-and-so missed the block and that's why he got sacked seven times. And he's like, well, I just didn't move fast enough. It was my fault. I should have picked up that read. And like, he didn't do that 10 or 15 years ago, but, but in the last maybe five to six, seven years, he's so good at taking the blame and, and building his team up. And then, you know, um, this last season, they had such a tough loss to, to the Browns in the playoffs. And there's this famous picture of him just sitting on the, the bench at the end and kind of being the last one there, taking it all in. And I think, you you know, you could just see the emotion. And then the next day they're asking him about it, and he just, you know, same thing, took all the blame. You know, I shouldn't have thrown five picks, and they're asking him about all this other stuff. And it just all goes back to, you know, himself of how he, you know, he could have been better and he'll be better and he's going to work harder in the offseason to be better next year. And I think that's so important to see that the way he matured, and then the way that he he speaks to the media. So I think um, mm-hmm. that to me, you know, I love watching him develop as a leader. And I think I've developed very similar, you know, when you're younger, you do a lot of different things than you do when you're older. And, and that has been one. And then a, a second one that I like to point out was one that I really didn't know too much about, but you know, the name is uh, Elon Musk. And I think uh, when you, when you hear different things about Elon Musk, it's real easy to, you know, think crazy weird because all the space stuff or, you know, you're maybe you're not buying into the electric cars like Tesla and you just think like, who is this scientist type guy or whatever it is. But, you know, I've, I've heard some interviews and they're really interesting. And one of the interviews he gave was talking about when he first started his business and, and he was at the factory and he would sleep there and they would say, well, where did you sleep? Like, did you have a, a room to sleep in? Did you sleep in the boardroom? Like, where would you sleep? He said, no, I would sleep in a room with all the windows in the middle of the factory. So all the staff knew I was sleeping there. He Mm -hmm. said, I wanted people to see that I was going to work harder than anybody. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted, I was asking them to do things that were impossible that haven't been done before. Mm -hmm. And I wanted them to see that, that I was willing to put in the work too. So he said, no, Mm -hmm. I would sleep, you know, right in, right in a room with all windows. So everybody, when they came in, could see, see that I was sleeping or if they were leaving, you know, we had 24 hour shifts. So if they're leaving at four in the morning, they see that, you know, here's the owner sleeping on the, on the floor. And he said, I'd have a sleeping bag on a concrete floor. And I just thought that was to me, I was like, wow, that's like, that's a great leader. Like that's somebody yeah. who's willing to, to show, you know, Hey, what, what I'm doing. And when people see that they buy into it, they work harder because they, they, they appreciate how hard you're working. Yeah. Oh man. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the sayings we have is, you know, at the end of the podcast, I actually say it, but it's, you know, it's the idea that banners are hailed at the beginning and medals are awarded at the end, but leaders are forged in the long, dark in between. If you're leading, you're taking the greatest risk. And that's true. If you're, if you're leading, you are, you're not only the one out in front, you know, leading the charge, having all the exposure, but you're having exposure to, to opposition as well as the people that you are leading. And it's extremely admirable, you know, to be able to see someone that I'm following um, who's saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to serve and I'm going to get in, I'm going to get in the mud with you, you know, and I'm going to get in the mud before you and longer than you. That to me is admirable. And I will follow uh, someone who displays those characteristics any day. Um, The other thing I like you said, when you were, when you were talking about Ben, um, you know, you mentioned how he was uh, at the bench at the end and he was taking it all in. And I think there's an, a really important distinction to make um, between being condemned with something and taking it all in and assessing it in order to grow and develop later on. Um, I think that's key in leadership is a lot of times um, leaders are actually made in those times when 
you know, it's just you and it's the mental game. Um, condemnation will, will cut off your ability to lead really, really quick. But if you can see, uh, if you can take responsibility and you can say, okay, I failed here and here and here, but here's how I'm going to improve. Here's how I'm going to grow. That's the beauty of sports is, you know, we have next season. That's why I love the idea of coaching kind of like you said, is because the mentality is always forward moving. It's not, uh, we suck and now we're done. It's no, you know what, there's a next season and we're going to work even harder. Um, you know, we're going to kind of patch up our weaknesses. We're going to, you know, see where we can improve and grow, uh, for the point of, you know, proving it next season. So, um, I think if you can, you know, in, in the times when, uh, things are difficult, don't, don't condemn yourself, but see it as an opportunity to grow. Um, I think that's really important to, uh, to distinguish between, between that when you're kind of going through the mental game a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think just to add in there real quick, Chris is, you know, when you think about these athletes who make hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, here's somebody like Ben who's 38 years old. What he's not coming back for the money. You, you know, he's not right. like, like he's right. not coming back for the money. Like, you know, sure. He still wants to be paid, you know, fair market value of his skills. Mm-hmm. And I can understand that, but like, why do these guys come back? It's because they want a chance to lead their team to a championship. You know, they're Mm -hmm. leaders. That's, that's what they are. It's they're competitors and they want, they want to lead. And that, that's what really gravitates um, to me to certain athletes is, you know, here they Mm -hmm. are at the the end of their career and that they feel like, yeah, I still got enough in a tank to to lead my team, you know, and some of the skills get diminished, you know, the, the throwing skills, the, the running skills, but they actually value their leadership skills to win championships. They know that they can get guys to maybe they can't run any faster, but they can get the 23 year old lineman to block better because, you know, they believe in their quarterback or they can get the wide receiver to practice more routes and practice catching routes more because they can get these guys to buy in that, that they can win because they believe in the quarterback. So it's maybe it's not so much, you know, Ben's got all these, these skills that he can still give, but his leadership skills, he's developed so much over his career that he can really, that's what he can give to the team. So I think a lot of times, you know, you get the regular um, sports uh, commentator, somebody's out there is like, ah, oh, he's washed up. He look at this, look at that, but you're not looking at how valuable his leadership skills really are to this, this young mm-hmm. team. So that's, you know, just want to throw that in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Man, well, I mean, that's that's pretty much all I have as far as questions. Do you, is there anything else you'd like to share that's on your mind, or? You know, I I, I just I appreciate the question, and I just think you know for the the young leaders out there, um, you know, if you're really trying to figure out where you're going in your life, it's it is a very difficult question um, when you're so young, you know, and you can start to feel like you know everything, and you know you have all the answers, and I think. Really, you just have to be a sponge. You know, that that's mm-hmm. what I kind of leave you with is be, be a sponge. You know, when you get around a great leader, take some of the best things you learn from them. Don't worry about the things that they don't do right, but take the three or four or five things that they do great and, and put that into your, your war chest, so to speak. Then when you mm-hmm. get to the next point in your life and you're with a different leader and they do things a certain way, and they've got some really great skills, take those two or three great skills, put those in your war chest. And before you know it, you're going to be older, wiser, and you're going to have a lot of these great skills that you took from the great leaders who helped you along your journey. And you'll be able to use those to pass forward to the people that you lead. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Nick, it's been a pleasure. Um, if our audience wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. So you can find me at nickbogaz.com, which is B-O-G-A-C-Z, like animal, cat, zebra. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. My podcast each week is the Business Equation Podcast. And you also can go ahead and text me at 412-818-3402. Really appreciate being on this podcast today, Chris. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Nick, for your time. The pleasure was mine. Uh, and that wraps it up for this episode. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thank you. All right, that wraps up this episode. And if it's been helpful to you, please be sure to leave us a positive review and share it. And remember that banners are hailed at the beginning and medals are awarded at the end, but leaders are forged in the long, dark in-between. If you're leading, you're taking the greatest risk. Thanks for being a part of the podcast and I'll talk to you again next time.